0: So over Christmas, I had one of my granddaughters uh, around the dinner time ask me a question about food. She's seven years old. Her name's Gracie, and Gracie says to me, "What's that?" I said, "Well, it's it's au gratin potatoes." She looked very puzzled at me, and she said, real loud, "You know." log rotten potatoes (laughs) I thought that was so clever and so then I tried to convince her that it wasn't log rotten it was og rotten she had no idea what that meant but it could not get out of her head that they were log rotten potatoes so she wasn't going to have any of that right I invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2, and we're going to look at the story of the wise men coming to Bethlehem to worship Jesus. And as we do so, there's going to be a number of preconceived notions, some log rotten potatoes in your head that are going to be hard to get out. In fact, even after a message like this, you may revert back to some wrong thinking just because of a familiarity with the story you hear something long enough or believe something long enough it's hard to dismiss it right so let me give you a couple of them here Uh, first there there we have no idea how many wise men there were Uh, the only reason we come up with three is because they offered three gifts gold frankincense and myrrh but you know there could have been 45 wise men we don't know Wouldn't it be weird when we get to heaven and we meet the 45 wise men and we thought, we thought there was only three, and the 42 go, you've ignored us all these years. You know, um, most of our nativity sets have baby Jesus in a stable with the shepherds and a few animals, and then here come the wise men, right? That they're there at the stable. Nope, that never happened. Because as we will read shortly, the wise men came to a house where Mary and Joseph were living. So the period of time in which this took place was some time after. In fact, if Herod's desire to get rid of all male babies in Bethlehem two years of age and younger is any indication, Jesus was at least some months and perhaps well over a year old when the wise men made their visit to the baby Jesus. Okay? Um, so those are some log rotten potatoes, right? That we've got to kind of get out of our minds. Let's read the story, Matthew chapter 2. Uh, stand for the reading of scripture this morning, and we'll read the whole chapter. Uh, we won't make our way through everything in the chapter, but we'll make our way through it. As you do so, Keep in mind that Matthew is trying to point to the true king, the King Jesus. He's gonna juxtapose King Herod and King Jesus and he's gonna point to Jesus as the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament scriptures. So be paying attention to all the ways in which Matthew says, and this fulfills the Old Testament, okay? He was afraid to go there and being warned in a dream he withdrew to the district of Galilee and he went and lived in a city called Nazareth so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled that he would be called a Nazarene. Please have a seat. We're going to look first of all at the troubles of Herod the king. We put it in quotes because Herod was neither a king nor a Jew. (laughs) And yet he calls himself, and the Romans called him, king of the Jews. Uh, His family background. He was an Idumean, which means that he came from the people of Edom, which was the descendants of Esau. His father, whose name was Antipater, had ties to Rome. And so Herod Uh, was a remarkable man. Here's a little picture of him, of a a statue. He was handsome. He was a brilliant politician, a great thinker, architect, and an engineer. Kind of my kind of guy. He became governor of Galilee at the age of 25, and he was promised the kingship through an alliance with the high priest, this alliance he had with the high priest, this high priest's name was Hyrcanus II. But you have to understand and go back to our times of Ezra, okay, to understand that from Ezra's time onward, there was this notion that the kingship would pass through the high priest's family. Now that wasn't the Old Testament plan, But during the time between the Old and New Testaments, that was kind of how it happened that the high priest's family became the aristocracy, okay? And so Herod makes a marriage alliance with the grandfather of the galleys marrying, who is the high priest, and uh, uh, as a result, has an inside track to become the king of the Jews. This is Herod's wife, Maryam. We'll talk a little bit more about her in a second. Um, Around 40 BC, okay, so about 35 years before Jesus is born, there was an invasion of the land of Israel by the Parthians. Now, you've probably never heard of the Parthians. This is Parthia right here. They controlled all of this region, okay? And they came down here, okay, and took over this area. They were the hated enemies of the Romans and they had several wars. You may have never heard of the Parthians and the reason is because Rome beat them. (laughs) You know, the losers never get history, right? But at the time of the first century, the Parthians and the Romans were pretty equal superpowers in the region. And the Parthians swept down here from the east and they came down and took over this area Uh, in the process Herod's brother and this high priest his wife's grandfather go up to Galilee for some peace talks with the Parthians what a concept Middle East peace talks that's never happened before since has it Right? Well, they go to the peace talks with the Parthians, and guess what the Parthians do? They kill Herod's brother, and they capture the high priest and carry him off to Parthia. Okay, um, and then they begin their attack, and Herod barely escapes with his life. He puts his future wife, this Maryam, in Masada a stronghold, okay, that later he's gonna build up into a real fortress, but at the moment, it's just kind of a, a, a very rudimentary type of fortress, and he holds her up there. He escapes down into Arabia, but he's betrayed there, and he makes his way, just barely escaping with his life, over to Egypt, where he meets up with Cleopatra. Yes, the Cleopatra played by Elizabeth Taylor. <clears throat> that Cleopatra... She doesn't give him very much help either, but he gets on a boat and he makes his way across the Mediterranean to Rome, where he meets with the Roman Senate, and the Roman Senate says, we declare you king of the Jews. Now, go and conquer the Parthians and carve out your your kingdom. So without any money, without an army, Herod makes his way back to the land of Israel Where, through some help with a Syrian, with a legion, with a Roman legion up in Syria, he is able to beat back the Parthians. And while he does that, another brother of his is killed in action. And Herod becomes the king. So this is Herod's family and background and how he comes to the place where he is as king here in Matthew chapter 2. Let me describe for you a bit more about Herod the builder. Herod built up Jerusalem. This is uh, a fortress uh, that he had built in Jerusalem. It's a model of it. Um, And he had three towers. One of them is named after his brother Faziel, who was killed in that war with the Parthians. Another one is named after his wife, Miriam, the one that I'd shown you earlier, Uh, Here's another picture of what the palace with those uh, towers in the background looked like. In Jerusalem, he built the Temple Mount. So understand that each of the blocks on that Temple Mount are about this high, and are about this wide, and are about this deep. They're like 40 tons. Every block is like 40 tons. And he was the one that built it. The Temple Mount that you see today is the one that Herod built. Pretty remarkable, right? Um, In fact, the Babylonian Talmud says that if you never saw Herod's temple, you never saw beauty. Um, Josephus says it looked, it it was dazzling gold panels shining so brightly The platform was the size of 26 football fields. Uh, Josephus notes about the stones of the towers at the Jerusalem palace. They were so exactly united to one another that each tower looked like one entire rock of stone. Uh, The rooms were great. The variety of figures were prodigious. The furniture complete. The greatest part of the vessels that were in them was of silver and gold. And he says, it's not possible to give a complete description of these palaces. And they were destroyed by the Romans in the war uh, in AD 70. And uh, Josephus is writing after that war. And he says, the very remembrance of that palace is a torment to me. The fact that it was destroyed torments him. Uh, So Herod is a great builder, Let's look at some other things he built. He built Caesarea. This is a port that he manufactures, a deep water port with a 400 yard long breakwaters uh, constructed with a cement technology that even today we're unsure exactly how he did it. A five mile long aqueduct. He built a hippodrome there that seated 10,000 spectators and a theater that is still there that seats 4,000. That's all beside his luxurious seaside villa and baths. Um, Augustus Caesar was his friend and uh, in about 20 BC, Augustus went to visit Herod in Israel. Israel. And Herod built three temples for him. One of them was here at Caesarea. Another one is at Samaria. This is the remains of it that you can see. Uh, He built up a summer palace at Jericho. That's what it looks like, uh, what it once looked like. And on the right is what it looks like today. Um, He built up a whole bunch of fortresses all around because as we'll talk about in a minute, he was paranoid. So because of this Parthian invasion, he was paranoid about anybody and everybody being a possible enemy of his and so he was constantly building fortresses and so he built one at Machaerus. He built one at Masada. Um, There's Masada. A three-tiered, I mean, it's just magnificent stuff. He built one at the, Herodium just outside Bethlehem it's named after him he was buried here at the Herodium Um, this is quite a remarkable place in that he moved a mountain because he saw that this one wasn't tall enough he moved a mountain and built put that mountain stuff on top of this one in order to build it that's that's what you call an engineer right uh, this map gives you a little sense of his building activities, all the numbers or things that he built. And over on the right, the map in yellow, are all of these fortresses, Alexandrium, Cyprus, Hyrcania, Herodian, Macarius, Masada, all these are fortresses designed to protect him from anything bad happening to him because he was paranoid after that invasion of the Parthians. He had 10 wives all as in a design to build alliances and in the process of all of these alliances he killed his sister's husband, he killed his wife's grandfather, that high priest who'd been carried off to Parthia. He rescued him and then killed him. He killed his wife's brother. He killed that beloved wife, Maryam, because he thought she was unfaithful. It's kind of uncertain as to whether she was or not, but he thought she was, and he killed her, and then immediately after killing her, he had the gravest of remorse, and he expressed that remorse for the next 20 years of his life, 20 years of agony. He killed his mother-in-law. He killed three of his sons. Two of them were imprisoned. And what Herod had them imprisoned, and while they were in prison, they heard a rumor that their father had died. And they went, ding dong, the witch is dead, da, 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 right? I mean, that's how they were. They were like, "Woohoo! dad's dead, now we can get out of jail. But the rumor wasn't true. And Herod heard about his sons rejoicing in prison at the rumor of his death, and so he had them killed. Why were all these killed? Because they were all somehow connected with that high priest aristocracy that established a title to kingship that was something that happened after the time of Ezra and Nehemiah and between the time of the Old and New Testaments. And he was neither a Jew nor a king. And that was why he was paranoid. Augustus, this is Caesar Augustus, he was the one that had made him king. He appreciated Herod's loyalty, ability to rule. As I mentioned, he visited Herod, and in Augustus' honor, uh, Herod built three temples there in the land of the Bible. Herod's sons studied in Rome for five years, and they were mentored by Augustus. And Augustus even tried to Uh, mediate the broken relationship between Herod and his sons. And after Herod died, the executor of Herod's will was Caesar Augustus. That's how close they were. Herod said this. Caesar Augustus said this about Herod, and I have the Greek there for you. I'd rather be Herod's hus than Herod's wios. It's a little play on words in Greek. It means... I'd rather be Herod's pig than Herod's son. So think about it, the king of the Jews, Caesar Augustus says, it'd be better to be pork, (laughs) better to be his pig than to be his son because he kills them, right? That was the paranoia of Herod. The Jews never accepted Herod into their inner circle. Herod, as great as he was as a builder, was not born as a Jew, nor was he born as a king. So now we come to our text. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from Parthia come to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king, born king of the Jews? Is it any wonder that when he heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him? Now, these wise men coming from the east are not Parthians. They are Persians, Persian sages, who actually were in the business of declaring who the next king was. They were spiritual leaders, but they were also well-armed, and they come in all the pomp of Oriental royalty, okay? However many there were, they're well-armed, they are in all Oriental royalty, and they come, and they come to Jerusalem, and they say to Herod, where is he who is born king of the Jews? We've just come from Parthia, and we kind of want to know about that. Do you see why Herod and the city of Jerusalem might be troubled by that? They looked for signs everywhere, and incredibly enough, these men who make it their job to look for signs see a star that they understand to portend the birth of the king of the Jews. You might ask, why would they even be interested in that? Why would they? Well, first of all, they're just interested in, they're naturally intellectually curious, and they see this star, they understand it to mean a king has been born out in, 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 in uh, the land of Israel. And um, why would they be interested in that? Perhaps their forebears these Persian sages had parents and grandparents and great-grandparents on. Some of them may have been friends of Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Later on, some of their ancestors may have been friends with Queen Esther or Nehemiah, the cupbearer to the king, or Zerubbabel. You see, The very fact of the Jews being carried off into captivity into Mesopotamia is what generates the interest in Mesopotamia for the king of the Jews coming. So this was Herod's great trouble and why he had both married the women that he did and why he had had so many of his family killed he married into what was considered royalty so that he could be king, and then he had them killed because he thought they were conspiring to kill him. And by the way, it's not out of the question that at least some of them did conspire to kill him. (laughs) So Herod's troubled, all Jerusalem with him. The true king is neither Herod, nor is he of the high priestly line. They're asked that question, right? He assembles the chief priests and the scribes and he inquires of them where the Christ was to be born and they tell him, the Bible's clear. Bethlehem and the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. There is from the kingly line of David one coming born in Bethlehem who is the true king the Jews. Now it's interesting to see here in chapter 2 of Matthew this response to the true king. Look at verse 9 and you'll see the response of the wise men. They listened to the Herod the king and they went on their way. The star they had seen when it rose went before them till it came to rest over the place where the child was. And they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. I I have in my mind There's a thousand ways people interpret this star stuff, so don't take this as, you know, like 100% true, but I get the idea that the star appeared in the east, and they follow it, and then it disappeared, and that's why they're asking, and then after they've had their interview with Herod, all of a sudden they see the star again, and that's why they're so happy to see it. And then they go into the house, verse 11, notice it's a house, not a stable, and they see the child, with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Notice that they worship Jesus. They don't worship Jesus and Mary. They worship Jesus. And opening their treasures, they offer him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Then they're warned in a dream not to return to Herod and go another way back to their own country. Um. You know, this is quite remarkable. They obey God and they worship. That's their response to the true king. Look at how Herod responds. Verse 7. Herod summoned the wise men secretly, ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he said, sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go search diligently for the child, and when you've found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. Right? He's not going to do that. He's wanting to know so that he can put him to death. He despises God's plan. He despises God's king and he tries to stop it. And what's interesting is that the Lord actually warns Joseph verses 13 to 15 take the child and his mother, flee to Egypt. Herod's about to search for the child to destroy him. He rose, took the child, mother by night, departed to Egypt. So it's pretty quick, get up, get going, gone. Maybe they used the funds of the gold and frankincense and myrrh in order to pay for the trip and their stay in Egypt. And that fulfills what the Lord had spoken by the prophet out of Egypt, I called my son. You know, it's interesting that when Matthew uses all these scriptures in uh, to say this fulfills the scripture, that um, if, if you go back to the Old Testament and you read far enough before the verse and far enough after the verse, you get a sense of what it's talking about. If you just read that particular verse back in Hosea 11.1, 1, you'll go, I don't get it. It seems like it's talking about Israel as a nation out of Egypt, I've called my son. In what sense is it talking about an individual? But if you go back to, for example, Hosea 10.3, it says, now they will say, we have no king, we do not fear the Lord, and a king, what could he do for us? All of a sudden, there's an individualization of a king and Israel being skeptical what king can save us. And well, we know what king can save them, right? It's King Jesus. There's other ways that if you look at Hosea chapter 13, verse 4. I'm the Lord your God. I am the Lord your God from the land of Egypt. In what sense is the Lord your God from the land of Egypt? Well, it is Jesus who is truly God and truly human come from, now, the land of Egypt. So there's, I, I guess I just want to say that before you look at, back at the Old Testament scriptures and think Matthew's not making any sense here how in this way how in the world could this be fulfilled I just urge you read a little bit before and a little bit after the verse because the authors of the New Testament are asking you to go back and read widely in order to understand the sense in which these scriptures are fulfilled now the hatred of God always brings great loss. We're back to Matthew chapter 2, verse 16. When Herod, when he saw that he'd been tricked by the wise men, became furious, he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years, or old, two years old or under according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. So my guess is that he probably gave a little bit of leeway in how much that was, but certainly Jesus was months and perhaps well into after his first birthday before this all took place, okay? And he's just wanting to make sure that he kills, and that kills them, all the male children. Now, one thing that's interesting is that Uh, skeptics will say, well, this is the only place in the Bible, this is the only place where this account's found, and you don't read anything in extra-biblical literature about Herod killing babies in Bethlehem. Why not? This seems like a pretty big deal. And the answer is, Herod killed so many people, and Bethlehem was so small of a town... Okay? And the environs so little that in terms of extra-biblical historians thinking about the big picture, they aren't even going to record that. But the Bible, understanding that there is a real king and his name is Jesus, is going to make sure to note that this is a pretty big deal. Okay? Especially as it fulfills the prophecy in Jeremiah 31, which in itself is one of the great chapters of the Bible, speaking of our salvation in Christ. Humans hate God's power and Herod had a kill them all mentality. What was going on here? We have a pretend king, a king who is neither a Jew nor a king and we have the rightful king, the king from another world who had entered ours. Consider this, brothers and sisters, the highest thing that Herod aimed for was what Jesus stooped low to become. The highest thing Herod aimed for, king of the Jews, was what the Lord of glory, Jesus, stooped to become. The reaction to Jesus is what matters to Matthew Some of them plan to worship him as king, and they do so. That's the wise men. Some say that they will and don't. That was Herod. Some are just disturbed. That was the whole city of Jerusalem. They're just disturbed by it. And some people ignore it altogether. And let me tell you that even today, people have those same reactions to Jesus. Some plan to worship him as king and do so. Some say that they will and don't. Some are just disturbed by Jesus and some ignore him. Now how these two kings die tells you a lot about what they were. Let's think about these two kings for a moment. Herod was all about power, pleasure, politics, and paranoia. Jesus of Nazareth And I'm just going to pick some words from Christmas carols here. Jesus was about peace, peace on earth. He was about joy, joy to the world. He was about service, come and worship. He was about sanity, sleep in heavenly peace. Think about that. Now, let's think about how these two guys died. Herod became seriously ill when he was about 70 years old. He moved to that summer palace in Jericho that I showed you a picture of a moment ago. His illness lasted a few months. During that time, he rallied briefly once, but quickly succumbed. He had a vague condition initially called, by Josephus, uncontrolled anger. How would you like to have that as your diagnosis? Um, His illness was considered to be incurable, and he was especially cruel in his last days. Um, he, I think I mentioned to you, didn't I, that uh, he had uh, his sister and his um, brother-in-law, uh, he, he, he ordered thousands of people to go into one of these hippodromes in his illness, and he ordered his sister and his brother-in-law, kill them, kill all the people in the hippodrome upon my death, because I know that nobody will grieve my death, and I want there to be some grieving when I die. Now, the sister and brother-in-law didn't carry that out, but that was how freakishly paranoid Herod was. Uh, he had all kinds of problems with his insides, his intestines, his swelling of fluid around his feet. He had worms. <laughs> he, uh, his breath stank. He uh, asked for an apple and a knife. It was his habit to pare the apple by himself, but when he took the apple and the knife, he tried to kill himself and his cousin stopped him Uh, He was no longer able to stand and uh, after a bit he died and Josephus notes this about his death. He was a man who was cruel to all alike and one who easily gave in to anger and was contemptuous of justice. In my opinion, he was very unfortunate indeed. And that... Is the story of Herod the Great. Now let me tell you about the other king. Oh, what a king he is. You remember the sign above Jesus' cross? This is Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. There's a reason why that's an important title of our Lord Jesus. You remember that the Jewish leadership went to Pilate and they said, hey, no, 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 say he claimed to be the king of Jews. Change the sign. Pilate says, what I've written, I've written. He's the rightful king. You remember what Jesus said as he hung on the cross? Instead of cursing everybody and making sure there would be some grief when he died by killing people, he himself died and said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he declared, it is finished. It's paid for. The debt of sin is paid for. This king paid for the sins of the world. And there was a Roman soldier who stood by, and as he watched Jesus die, he said this, truly this one was the Son of God. The true king, King Jesus, stooped to become our king. Though he was in the form of God, he did not regard equality a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking upon himself the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that in the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Two kings. One, not born a Jew and not a king. The other, born a Jew from eternity past, not just the King of the Jews. The King of the universe. The King of kings. The Lord of lords. Let's pray together. As we pray, would you ask the Lord to help you see cause for joy, even in painful times? You may be going through painful times right now. Ask the Lord to help you see that there's joy in the true King having come and paid for our sins. Ask Him to help you see that remarkable reason for joy. Not just intellectually. Ask Him to help you deepen your heart to well up with joy that there is a king and his name is Jesus. Oh God, help us to see this cause for joy in the person of your son, our King Jesus. And now I want to ask you to invite Jesus to be your savior and king and helper when you face injustice. Herod faced all kinds of problems and troubles and even injustices And he looked to himself, he will be forgotten. The only reason we even talk about him today is because of the intersection of his life in history with baby Jesus. Would you right now invite Jesus to be your Savior and King Oh Lord, for those who have never done so, we ask that you would help them to invite Jesus to be their Savior and their King. And Lord, would you help us all when we face injustice rather than to grow into paranoia and grief and uncontrolled anger or any of the other reactions that we've seen in the life of Herod, help us instead to entrust our souls to a faithful Creator. And to our King, King Jesus, in his name we pray, amen.